Once more, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. So good to see you. Welcome. If you're in the cafe this morning, if you are in Overflow with Jason Dunbar, God bless all of you. Thank you for being a part of Easter worship at Woodburn Baptist Church. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. You poor people are so close. Nathan, man, you know I spit, right? I mean, I really do spit. Uh, I really do spit, but that jacket looks waterproof, so I think you will, you'll be good. God bless all of you. It's Easter. I'm so glad. Isn't it a beautiful day? We've waited, I mean, through all of this horrible Kentucky winter, we've waited for a day just like this, and it happens to be on Easter, so praise God. It's so, so good to be in God's house today. Romans chapter 12, a single verse, verse 1 is where I'll be this morning. Back in the 90s, there was a great theologian by the name of Jerry Seinfeld, and Jerry Seinfeld uh, made a point about a recent survey back in his day uh, about uh, the, the number one fear of people in the United States. Y'all know what that was and actually still is, the number one fear of people in the United States. Number one fear is public speaking, public speaking. Seinfeld would point out that the number two fear was and is death. So think that through. That means in this room right now, you'd rather be dead than standing where I'm standing right here, right? And at any funeral, at any funeral, you'd rather be the person in the casket than the person behind the pulpit. Does that even make sense? Does it make sense? In a way, it does. Basically, there's a rule in life. If you have a choice to make, don't choose to be the dead guy. Don't choose to be the dead guy, which brings us to worship. I've been preaching a sermon series entitled Altars for several weeks, so we know that an altar is a place where sacrifices are made. And in, in, in basic, basic reasoning, it would tell you that in a service of worship where a sacrifice is to be made, you don't want to be the sacrifice. Why is that? One simple reason, the sacrifice always ends up dead, right? Sacrifice always ends up dead. So logic would tell you in a service of worship that involves a sacrifice, don't be the sacrifice, the sacrifice ends up dead, except not always. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that's where we'll be this morning for our Easter message. Romans chapter 12, if you're looking in the New Testament, Romans is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group of Christians in Rome, and that's why it's called Romans. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one probably in the pew rack right in front of you. Grab that if you're in this room and follow along with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to see this verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let me say it again. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, if you're looking in the New Living Translation, the Bible translation I'm reading, the first two words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 are... And so, and so, so, and so typically if you're in a conversation and someone begins a sentence with, and so, that, that lets you know what? Like, they've been talking. They've been talking. And you're thinking, now, what am I missing? What did I miss? Because they say, oh, and so, it's like, and so, and so what? So understand, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul begins with, and so, so you miss something. 
You missed something. Paul's already been talking. And as it turns out, yeah, he's been talking 11 chapters. This is how we know that he was a Baptist preacher because he's been talking on and on. 11 chapters of talking before he says, and so, and so. What if you miss? What part of his message has already gone by? Now, let me just walk you through a little bit of it. If you have your Bible open, turn back to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And Paul actually says this. This is the kind of thing he's been talking about for 11 chapters. Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. Actually, in the book of Romans, the whole letter to the church at Rome, Paul's been talking about what Jesus has done for us. And it's actually pretty amazing. And this is pretty much the gist of it. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, that sounds crazy. Who would die for sinners? I mean, it makes sense for God, you know, to die for people who loved him. But this is the point. God loved people who didn't love him back. And God sent his son Jesus to die for us while we didn't love him back, while we're still sinners. But it goes on. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Again, over one page in my, in, in my book. For the wages of sin is death. Again, we're still talking about sinners, but the news gets bad before it gets good. The wages of sin is death. And again, Paul's been talking about this for 11 chapters, how we're all sinners. I mean, everybody's a sinner. We don't all sin in the same ways. And some of us are better at hiding our sin than others, but it doesn't change the fact we're all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we all got thing, one thing coming to us, and what is it? Death. Death. And the death is, is more than just physical death. It's not just like when your heart stops and your kidneys shut down. Death is physical and also spiritual because you are physical and also spiritual. So the death that sin brings has already started in you until you come to Jesus and experience the new life that he gives. There's a part of you that's already dead. And you just need to understand that. It's the part of you that could relate to God, the part of you that could understand the sort of spiritual things that you other people talk about, uh, that part of you that sort of stays dead when other people come to church and they just want to worship and you just kind of want to, you know, want it to be over. You see, there's something dead in you. And this is what we're talking about. Sin always brings death. Wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Sin brings death, but Christ brings life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. Then Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul kind of hits the climax. He talks about our response to this. And he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. See, in order to really know God and really experience everything God has for you, it's not enough just to believe. I mean, lots of people say, well, I believe in God. You know, I went to church, and, and it's more than just believing in God and going to church. There's some content here that you really have to understand. There's certain things, not a lot of things, but certain things you really, really need to understand and believe. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that's a way of saying Jesus is God. He's not just a good teacher, not just a man who once lived, and we know that he was a man who once lived. We're not denying that at all. He was a man who lived, but understand he was more than a man who lived. This is God in the flesh. And if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Here's the thing. God raised him from the dead. 
It's not big news that the man who lived, you know, 2,000 years ago is dead now. You know, it died because, honestly, everybody that was alive 2,000 years ago is is dead now. This is the big news. This one who died 2,000 years ago, he came back from the dead. He lives. This is what we celebrate on on Easter. It's not just a, a, a holiday. Understand, this is the day we tell the most important story of all time. Jesus died. Jesus came back from the dead. Nobody else has ever done that. Do you understand? Not Elvis, not Bell Witch. You understand? Jesus is the only one who's gone to the grave and has come back. And you have to believe that. Doesn't really matter what you believe about creation and evolution. That's beside the point. It really doesn't matter what you believe about all kinds of things, but you have to believe this. Jesus rose from the dead. And you believe that, and now we're talking, all right? So if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Salvation comes through Jesus, the one who forgives us of our sins, died, and gives us life. Openly declare that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, you will, you will be saved. So, so. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, and so, and so, so, and so, with all of that having been said, and so what? And, and so what? So verse 12, verse 1, back there. And so I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. So that's what Paul's been talking about. All that Jesus has done for you. I, I know, I know. He lived 2,000 years ago, but he lives now. And so he did all of this for you, and he's still doing things for you. That's the point. Because of all that Jesus has done for you now, the point is there's probably something you ought to do. It just sort of makes sense. It's, it's, it's reasonable that if Jesus has done all of this for you, then there should be something that you should do now in return. And so the big question becomes, what does Jesus want from you? What does this mean for you? What does Jesus want from you? I was running the Louisville Marathon. Uh, Don't be impressed. You haven't seen me run. Um, I run. I'm slow. I'm old. Um, I was never fast. It's just now, you know, I'm beginning to run my age. You know, it's kind of good. I ran like an old man then, and now, you know, uh, I'm right on it. Um, I do not run fast. I don't, I don't run pretty. Uh, I run in the country roads of Woodburn, and to this day, people stop and offer me rides. That's not a joke. You know, they offer me, you know, you know I mean, they just worry. Um, but I'm out there, and I was running the Louisville Marathon, which is a 26-mile race, and I ran it, and, and, and I finished it. But it was not pretty at all. And at about mile 19, I mean, there was nobody around me but Jesus. And uh, seriously, I was meeting Jesus at mile 19. And uh, I was struggling. I was really, really struggling. But, you know, part of the you know, fun part of these races is they'll position photographers to capture these amazing moments of victory and velocity. So I was in like Cherokee Park at about like mile 19. I was really, I was really bad. I was really struggling. I was still running, kind of, um, but I mean, I, I was really struggling. And so the photographer was there, you know, and like he saw me come around the corner and he's like, pulled his camera up to catch it. And, and he stood there for a minute and I'm just like, you know, coming toward him. And he put his camera down. 
You know, kind of a, like when the hearse goes by and all the old men take their caps off. You know, it's like he took his camera down and he looked at me because because he's wanting to take my picture so later I can go online, you know, and see this, you know, just, you know, amazing picture. But he realized he wasn't going to get that picture. So photographer looks at me and I get close enough to him. He says, hey, man, run faster. Like he does this, like, you know, run faster, you know, run faster. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian and a pastor, and I didn't have the strength to punch him in the throat. But it's just like, dude, what do you think the problem is here? I forgot to run. You think I just forgot to run faster? <laughs> think I forgot? I didn't say this. What I said was, you know, like... Like one of those walkers on Walking Dead, you know, I'm just like going by him. It's like, I could die in front of you, take a picture of that, you know. Yeah. It's like, you know, run faster, man. You know? Dude, this is all I got. I mean, this is all I, I got. And, and see, the thing is, sometimes when you come to church, that's what you feel like. Sometimes you feel like the person who's kind of doing the best they can, and all of a sudden you're in a room full of people going, hey, dude, you know, run faster, try harder, try harder. And it's like, you know, what do you think the problem is? I just forgot to try hard. That's the thing. If, if you try to get all of your information just like from church people, you may be misled because sometimes church people can be misleading. Sometimes we, as, as church people, we can put the emphasis on all the wrong things. So you've come to church through the years, and you've been told, you know, hey, you need to quit smoking. You know, don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink. You, you know, and, and um, as I said, Paul sort of said, if, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. He didn't say a word about dancing. You know what I'm saying? But, but we've managed to add a lot of things that honestly really shouldn't have ever been added to the good news of Jesus. And so people have come to church and often just felt um, judged. Often you get around church people and all you feel like is you're just not good enough and, and, you, and you'll never be good enough. Because the problem is not that you just forgot to be good enough. You know, it's like the grandma that wags her finger in your face and tells you, you know, to stop, you know, stop drinking. It's like, if you could have stopped drinking, you just stopped drinking a long time ago, grandma. I mean, you know, stop sleeping with your boyfriend. Well, yeah, you should. You probably should, but you're having trouble stopping. It's not that you need, you know, a, a, a reminder because most of us know very, very well who we are and what we are and what we do and. And, and that's not exactly what, what we need. I mean, the bottom line is you and I are forever not good enough. Forever not good enough. And I say you and I, I mean church people and non-church people the same. We're forever not good enough. If just going to church could save you, then there'd be a whole lot of people saved. I mean, people are in and out of church all the time. It's not about going to church. It's something much, much deeper. That's why Paul says you have to believe something in your heart. That's deeper than just getting your behind in a seat at church. I'm talking about your heart. Your heart. And the fact of the matter is, man, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough either. Because the standard is just so high. In the book of Romans, Paul says, you know, all of a sudden we fall short of God's glorious standard. I mean, it's not that I'm disappointing grandma. 
It's not that I'm falling short of the standard, you know, that my family set for me. I mean, I'm falling short of the standard God has set. And God's standard is, is much higher than your family's, much higher than your grandma's. It's just why before the gospel is good news, it's bad news, because you and I are forever not good enough. I mean, forever not good enough. So the bottom line is, you don't need a reminder to try harder. What you need is mercy. You just need mercy. Me too. I don't need anybody wagging their finger in my face telling me all the things I should do. I know all the things I should do. I know. I know. You know, don't you? Man, I mean, there's no shortage of people in the world who stand up and, and, and tell you that you need to do better and be better. But, but where do you go to find mercy? Paul here in, in this particular passage, it's a beautiful thing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. The word he uses there, he doesn't say because of all he's done. He, he writes in the Greek language, and the word he used there is the word for mercy. I, I, I'm asking you in view of all of God's mercies, and he uses it plurally as if God has multiple kinds of mercy. Because of his mercy, couldn't you just use a little bit of mercy? I mean, I don't really think the problem is that you haven't tried hard enough. I think the problem is you're, you're forever not good enough, no matter how hard you try. What you need is, is mercy. That's why in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, the word says this. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, it's believing in him. It's not just believing in God in general. It's, it's something specific. It's believing in Jesus. Here's verse 7. It's the next verse that nobody ever reads, but it may be better. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. I mean, I guess that's your grandma's job, right? I mean, there's plenty of people around to judge you. And honestly, Jesus is the only one qualified and with authority to judge you. He's the only perfect one. He's the only one who sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he is sitting in the place of judgment. He really could judge you, but he has not come to judge you. Instead, he's come to save you. That's called mercy. That's called not getting what you deserve. That's called not getting what you even expected. It's not giving what everybody else gives you. I mean, Jesus gives you what you never, ever expected and wouldn't have dreamed to ask for. He gives you mercy. Absolutely gives you mercy. So the question I haven't answered yet is, he gives me mercy. So what does he want from me? What does he want from you? Because this is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to do what? This is kind of amazing. Give your body to God. Some of you are thinking, he don't want it. <laughs> you know, he obviously has not seen me in a bathing suit. He don't want it. He doesn't want this body. You know, like right now, you got it all sucked in. But when you get a home and you exhale, you know, you know, it's forever. Now, he don't want it. You know, I mean, that's what you're thinking. What in the world is God one with a body like mine? You know, and this is what you have to understand. This is the best part because people get the idea that, that Jesus just you know wants your soul. You know, so your your soul belongs to him, but then your body you know goes all kinds of places. And and this is kind of the point. That's why Paul says you present your body. 
He's not speaking spiritually here. He's just trying in the most practical way to help you understand what it is that you need to give to Jesus. And the bottom line is, it's just your life. Jesus wants you to surrender the physical life you live every day. That's what he wants. Not just your Sunday morning, like not just your church life, your life life. This is you. Like after you walk out of here and you put on regular clothes, this is you at home with your family. This is you at home by yourself. This is you at work or this is you at play. This is you out on a date. You know, this is you at prayer. This is you even though you never prayed. You understand? You, your life, who you are, what you eat, how you talk, the way you walk, the places you go, how you think, all of you, your physical life, you are the sacrifice. Yeah, we talked about that, right? Didn't I already say that? Y'all listening to the early part of the sermon? Like in a service of worship involving a sacrifice, you don't want to be the sacrifice because the sacrifice always ends up dead. Yeah, except for now. Erase that and look and see what he says. Let your body be what? A living, a living sacrifice. See, Jesus doesn't want you dead. He wants your life. As a matter of fact, he wanted you to live and not die so desperately, he came and died in your place. There was a death for you. He died it. Do you understand? He died your death so that you could live his life. It's like the greatest switcheroo ever. You should have died. You were the sinner. Jesus never sinned. He had no sin to pay for, no death to die. But Jesus came and died that you might live. So now it's a very different kind of sacrifice you're making now because you're going to live. I mean, really live. I don't just mean go to church. Please understand that this is life, but it's not all of life. It's a lot more Jesus has for you. It's life. As I said, if you don't know him, there's a part of you already dead. I think you understand this. It's that part of you that is numb most of the time or wishes that it were numb most of the time. It's it's a part of you that sometimes wants to pray, but then by the time you say five words, you just give up because you figure God's not listening and you're not talking anyway. You know? It's like when other people talk about the Lord, when you hear people talk about prayer or reading the Bible and they seem to get something out of it, but it's nothing in there for you. Something dead about you. But you can live. That, that dead part of you can come to life. On Easter of all days, hear the message. Jesus is the one who brings dead things back to life. And it could be the deadest thing in the world right now is your old dead heart. Would you give it to him? Your life, this life that you're living, some of you aren't living it very well. You cleaned up for Easter, but you know how you struggle. You know that there's a pit that you just keep getting back into and you keep digging it deeper and deeper and deeper. And you don't really need a reminder to stop digging yourself deeper. If you could stop digging, you would have stopped digging. You can't stop. This is the point. You need rescue. So 
in view of everything God has done for you, in view of everything Jesus has done for you, what, what is it he wants from you? What can you bring him? We say our bodies, but honestly, he made us. I mean, he made my body out of the dust. He, he knit me together in my mother's womb. I mean, I believe that with my whole heart. I mean, I, what can I give him that doesn't already belong to him? I mean, the breath in my lungs is from him. I mean, I borrow it from the atmosphere. Understand, I got nothing. What can I possibly give God that he doesn't already have? What can I give to Jesus who died for me by mercy? What can I, what's he want from me? Because as it turns out, he's not here to get something from me. He's not here to take something away. He's not trying to take away all your fun, not trying to take away your future. He's not here to take anything away from you. He's here to give you salvation, give you life. His hands reached out toward you not to take but to give. So is there anything at all that you could give him? Um, I guess permission it sounds like a strange word he's God he can do anything he wants but, but Jesus the word says he, he stands at the door of your heart and knocks I mean he's God he could huff and puff and blow the house down you understand but because of his grace, because of his mercy, he, he just knocks. He, he's come to save you. He reaches out his hand to save you. He just won't, can't save you without your permission. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um. That's the only thing you can give him. It's just that invitation to come into your life, uh, that, that acceptance of his mercy. Have you done that? Have you ever done that? I know I'm probably looking at people who you come to church, at least on Easter. So I know you go to church, but, but have you done this? Have you ever just come to a point in your life where you began a new life with Jesus? And it needs a beginning. I mean, you know how you're all the time saying you're going to do something and you never do it. I mean, you really need a beginning for this. Most of us begin with a prayer of some kind. You kind of break that silence with the Lord. And there's no magic prayer, there are no magic words. It's just something like, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know. I beg you to forgive me. Um, I know that you're Lord. I know that you died and that you, that you rose from the dead. I believe that. So would you save me? Would you take my dead heart and give me a heart that lives? Will you take this dead life and let me live? I mean, you know, it's just a prayer like that. Your words, Jesus' mercy, that's how you get saved. In a... Most services of worship involving a sacrifice, you don't want to be the sacrifice. In this instance, you want to be the sacrifice because in this instance, the sacrifice doesn't end up dead. It ends up alive. You can live.
Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, we know that you are knocking on the doors of hearts in this room, in other rooms, in this house, in other people within the sound of my voice, Lord. We know that you, Lord Jesus, have mercy on all of us who are sinners. So God, today, will you help us, Lord, just to run to you? Help us to open our hearts to you. Help us, Lord, to break the silence, to say some kind of prayer, Lord, that just allows you to do what you've been waiting to do in our lives for a long, long time. Oh, God, right now, even as I speak, Lord, I pray that you'll begin to bring dead hearts to life. We pray these things by the power and in the name of Jesus. Amen.